Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, Grace Crossing. It's so good to be with you again today. I'm loving to get to come on a regular basis and uh, not only get to know individuals uh, better, first name basis sometimes now, but also to see the growing ranks of the folks who are coming here. So we're, we're back from summer, getting ready uh, and jumping into the school season, everything else. It is wonderful to see you all. And if you're here today for the very first time, or if you're watching and joining us online today, we are so glad that you have, have taken the time to check us out. And uh, even though I live in Columbus, uh, if I lived in Beaver Creek, I know where I'd be going every single Sunday. And uh, you have made a smart decision to check out uh, Grace Crossing, uh, this wonderful people, leaders, uh, as you've already seen today, a heart to serve the Lord in every way possible and to be a fresh expression of what God is doing in real time. So we are, as you know, uh, in a series called Summer in the Psalms. And what a great book. Before I even dive into that, if you are, if you are finding yourself even more interested in the Psalms, uh, there is a, an incredible book. I've never read a more uh, complete, uplifting, uh, deep dive into the Psalms that is so applicable than the book uh, written by George O. Wood. And so if you Google George O. Wood and Psalms, uh, you, can, you can have that uh, at your doorstep in a few days. Um, and, and you will really enjoy, after the series is over, continuing uh, to dive in. So my assignment today, I'm in Psalm chapter 119, Psalm 119. And uh, we're going to be looking at just a few verses there. But before we go into that, a little background about Psalm uh, 119 is that we're not really sure, according to scholars, exactly who wrote it. Of course, many of the Psalms, we understand that King David wrote it and other Psalms that were written by other people who are named. But Psalm 119, we're not really sure. A lot of people think it was Ezra, perhaps, one of the prophets. But it's a really unique chapter, and many of you have read this chapter before. As a little uh, boy, my dad, I was the youngest of five, and my dad loved the Psalms, and he loved the whole Word of God. In fact, uh, even though he passed about five years ago, uh, we are all still talking about his voracious appetite for Scripture. I mean, every night, uh, you, you knew where my dad would be. It would be uh, on his left side of the couch where the lamp was and all of his books on the end table there. And uh, he was always reading the Bible. Every year he would read the Bible through. Um, that was a given. But in the last several decades of his life, he, he wanted to expand. And so he started to read the Bible through in Spanish. And he loved that. And of course, that took a longer time. Um, but he said, and this is for some of you maybe who've been reading the Bible for quite a, quite a while, maybe some of you have already discovered this, I know our missionaries have, when you read such familiar passages in a different language than what you're used to, it gives you a whole new appreciation for some of the words that our English just you know, glosses over. And oh, is that what that means? So he learned a lot more about scripture by reading it in Spanish. But do you know, after several years of reading it through the entire Bible in Spanish, multiple times, he grew weary of that. And he remembered being a soldier in Germany uh, years ago. And so he started to read it in German. And, uh, and then after several times of that, he started reading it in French. He did not get through the whole thing in French before he passed away. But nonetheless, we have copies of those Bibles and those languages. And you can better believe that was a, a real memento for us, but even more than just the actual paper is, of course, that memory of a father. Um, and some of you, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and good friends, you are that person for someone else. And uh, even though you're doing it because of your walk and your love for the Lord, the fact that you place such a high priority on the word of God is definitely spilling over into those that you rub shoulders with, your loved ones, in ways that you probably cannot possibly appreciate. And so in my, uh, in my house growing up, we did not get allowance. That just wasn't a thing. Uh, unless, of course, you did work for it, and then you could get paid. And one of the ways we got paid was by reading scripture. And so my dad would pay his children a nickel per chapter 
um, for every chapter of the Bible that they would read. Of course, this was a long time ago. For some of you here today, you're so young, I, I am talking about a prior century. That's when I grew up. And uh, so, however, I was the youngest of five. And so by the time I came along in the 60s, we were way past the 50s now. And so, you know, it's not my fault that inflation kicked in. And so I negotiated a quarter per chapter. By the time I was of reading age, uh, a fact that is still a little bit of a, a sore spot for my older siblings, but nonetheless, it is what it is. Now, here's one of the things I'm not very proud of. I'm just being real with you. Um, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, as many of you know, 176 verses. But just a couple of chapters away, just turn the page, and you are at the shortest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 117. So if Psalm 119 kind of freaks you out, it's intimidating. Read Psalm 117, only has three verses, right? And then you put the two together and it kind of averages out. So, yep, when I needed a quick buck, I would read Psalm 117 four times. And so my dad was busy. And how many chapters? I read four chapters. And so <laughs> something about that is very twisted. And I realize that. I'm just praying for, for uh, God's mercy. Um, but Psalm 119, it really is unique. You know, there are 26 letters in the English alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alpha, alphabet. And these 176 verses in Psalm 119 are written as an acrostic. So the first eight verses, we call them eight verses, those, that first group, um, it starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then the second set of eight verses starts with the second letter of the Hebrew, and all the way through. And so that's why you have 176 verses is because there's 22 passages, each beginning, each eight verses in English, and each of them starting with a different letter. What's also unique about Psalm 119 is that every single verse refers to the word of God. In one verse, it'll say your word. and another one, it'll say your testimonies. Another one, it'll say your law, your precepts. Every single verse, all 176 verses in one way or another, just reinforces, God, it's your word. It's your word, your word, your word. I love your word. So we're going to break this down today into three parts, and I don't even want uh, this to go on the screen right now. I just want to read these four verses to you and have you say them with me just so we can audibly appreciate it, and in a few moments we'll visually appreciate it. Now, a little caveat is my fellow speakers and I have agreed with me that since I am taking on the largest chapter in the book of Psalms, therefore, not only the largest chapter in Psalms, but largest chapter in the whole Bible. Therefore, today's sermon probably, I'm kidding. I'm not, it's not going to be that big, but say this with me. I'm going to break it down to small parts, verse, starting with verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. Say that. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments... You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. Make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. For they are ever with me. We're halfway done. I have more understanding than all my teachers. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. For your testimonies are my meditation. Almost done. I understand more than the ancients. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Because I keep your precepts. We're going to come back and unpack that. But real quick, a parallel passage to that in the New Testament was written by the brother of Jesus. His name was James. And in chapter one, verse 22 through 25, I'll just read that for you real quick. We'll come back to this later as well. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You'll be deceiving yourselves if you do that. For if anyone is just a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself... All right. And then he goes away. And immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer of the word, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. The perfect law of liberty. That's what James uses to describe God's word, his laws. So let's unpack this today in three parts. First of all, love the law. As God's children, it is our command, but more than that, it is our incredible privilege to love and to know the word of God. Love the law. That's what Psalm 119.97 says. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation every Sunday from 10 to 11, like clockwork. That's not what it says, is it? Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long, every day. It is my meditation. I love your law. It's, it's what I think about. I love the law. I love the word, the precepts, the testimonies of God. Love the law, that doesn't really sound like, like that would be kind of relevant or cool. Why would anyone want to love the law? Well, Jesus said, whoever practices the law and teaches others to do so, he will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. If you practice it and you teach others, and he's referring, of course, about the whole counsel of God, you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also said in response to what is the greatest law, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second and greatest commandment is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first, that's the law, but also love your neighbor as yourself. And then finally, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the Old Testament law. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to, to help you understand it even more, to understand not just the words, but the spirit behind what God has been trying to, to help his children to understand. In fact, all 10 of the commandments, and there's many more commandments than just those 10, but when you talk about all of the Old Testament law, but all of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament are then revisited and unpacked in the New Testament, several of them numerous times. Nine of, of ten of them are exactly reaffirmed, either quoted or stated exactly that way, with the one exception of the Sabbath. And of course, there's numerous teachings in the New Testament on the Sabbath, and it's a great example of how Jesus came to fulfill the law. I had a, a, a course instructor teach on this uh, recently, earlier this year, and what a revelation it was. I'm in my 50s, and I'd never really thought about this before. So if you are, if you are a young adult here, grab a hold of this now. It, it'll change. It'll help you enjoy your Sabbath, because ultimately, Hebrews says, Jesus is our Sabbath rest, right? He ultimately, that, that's, that's the rest that we're going to enter into forever. But even now, we're, we're not where the Old Testament Jews were in terms of having to, uh, that 24-hour period, the way that they honored it or kept it. But the instructor was saying, even the Jews, if we feel like the Sabbath somehow is turned into bondage or legalism for us, we have so missed even the Old Testament purpose of the Sabbath. You remember the uh, the the cartoon, the animated movie, uh, Joseph, right? And you remember uh, reading about Joseph and the, and the Old Testament Jews in slavery and how after they had come out of day and night toil under the oversight and ownership of the Egyptians, they didn't even know what rest was. So many of them lost their loved ones, their parents, grandparents who died early deaths because the Egyptians worked them so ruthlessly, nonstop. There was no such thing as rest. And so that's the group of people that God is coming to now to say, you need to put the brakes on. Stop. Get some rest. Many of you have never known your whole lives that, that, that concept, and I am your heavenly father, you're no longer in slavery. Serve me, and I want you to get some rest. Take a day off, just as I modeled for you. Take some time off. And now, here in the New Testament, in, in after the New Testament, 
How do we honor the Sabbath? How do we keep the spirit of what God intended, our loving heavenly father, keep that alive without feeling under bondage? Because I know many of you, if you've served the Lord for any length of time, you've wrestled with that. Well, do I go out to eat and have other people work on Sundays? What about doctors and nurses? Aren't you grateful the hospitals are open on Sundays? Aren't you grateful that the water system still works on Sundays and the power grid, right? Somebody has got to be working in order for these things to happen to keep you know humanity going where it's going in terms of being alive in many cases because of the services that we need. And the spirit of this is one of a heavenly father's love for his children. This is what Jesus was trying to explain. In fact, this instructor said to me and to all of us in the class, if you take that one day off and you, you say that is your Sabbath and, and on that Sabbath, you use that as your day to get all your extra chores done and the things that you couldn't get done during the week, he said, please hear in, in all the love of the world that God has something different in mind for you flip it on its head and and what would you do if you had a day to rest to really enjoy to to do something that brought life to your your spirit and renewal to your body that's what god has in mind for the sabbath don't feel guilty about saying this is the one day per week on average that i'm going to say this is this is me time This is my heavenly father encouraging me to do something that encourages my body, it encourages my mind, it gives me rest. And so for some people, you know, if you have a true quote unquote nine to five job, Monday through Friday, if those even exist anymore, then, then you've got a day, right? You've got a Saturday to, to do some of those things or, and then Sunday, of course, for worship. But some of us don't work these cookie cutter hours from nine to five on Monday through Friday. And so we've got to be creative. And sometimes that means taking two days off pretty regularly. So you have a day to do the errands and to, to volunteer and to do the work. So, but you still have to have one day per week, not for bondage, not for checking the clock to, to feel like you're under some legal pressure, but to receive the love and the care that our heavenly father has in mind for his children so we can serve him again the next five days and do it with, with a lot of exuberance and health because we have rested. That's just one small example. And Jesus, of course, was chastised because he dared to bring physical relief to somebody on the Sabbath. And the Old Testament Pharisees are there yelling at him and he's like, you, you're, you're missing it. You're missing it. You don't even know who I am. And if you knew who I am, you'd, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. And more so, no, this is not meant to be legalism that you can't do anything It's just take some time off, reflect and renew your body and celebrate what God has done for you. Honor the Lord. There are, of course, now um, many people uh, who get, and they're Christians, and I could go on and on about 5,000 different ways, but there's just a couple examples, Old Testament laws that no longer apply today, right? There, There is an Old Testament prohibition. If you want to look for one of those laws, uh, they're in Deuteronomy and Numbers about men having beards, right? So uh, if, they're, if you're shaving in here today and you don't have a long beard, you know, that's how we see some of our other uh, citizens interpreting legally that they can't shave. And that's still an application that we would say is out of date. And that's why uh, the, the tattoos, yes, you can see something about pat- tattoos in the Old Testament as well, but there's just a laundry list of laws that no longer apply under the new covenant, yet the spirit that Jesus is trying to bring to us is that there's a value in understanding what was behind those. Come to me, let me be your Sabbath. Let me help you understand the fulfillment of what God is trying to say. We don't love the speed limit many times, even today. I'm probably the only one in here who gets a little uptight about three miles from church because that's the zone where if you're not careful, you will tailgate somebody who's going to pull into the same parking lot that you are, right? So five miles out, 10 miles out, you're good, all right? Odd, the odds are in your favor, all right? But close to church, you don't want to be breaking the speed limit because, and again, that does not feel like the authentic way to interpret scripture, all right? I just want to say, just give you an example. No, we don't love speed limits. We don't love laws about taxes, right? We don't like it when we get caught. 
But yet how many times have our lives been saved? And the answer is more than we know, right? Our lives and the lives of loved ones have been saved because we have, we have these guardrails there that keep us, keep us protected. The law, even today, the law saves us from so much harm. It does save us from so much harm. Andy Stanley, many of you know uh, this uh, pastor and preacher, he has a great series called Guardrails. Some of you have seen this. Um, I would say it's maybe even 10 years old by now. Um, But what a great teaching on understanding the laws that God has put in place for us. He calls them guardrails. And he contrasts the guardrails of God that keep you on the road versus going over the cliff. They're fixed and they're there and they're real. God's guardrails are real. He said, that's so much kinder and so different than the yellow lines that the world wants to paint. Because the, the, the world gives you yellow dashes on the road so that you never really know, right? Is this right or wrong? Is it up to everybody to decide? And, and then what's on top of that is the influence of our enemy. He influences people who, who are not serving the Lord. And, and together then society, culture creates this collective appeal to come to the edge Come to the edge of the line. It's, it's not that dangerous. I mean, and sometimes you'll probably cross over the line, but you know, just just do your best and and come on over here. Yeah, I know you hear you hear things, maybe even think things about you know how we relate with each other sexually, but don't get uptight about that. Come on, it is so fun. Don't 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 be all hung up on all those details. Just come over and explore. It's a lot of fun over here. Don't don't worry about abusing drugs and and recreational drugs and alcohol and wine. Don't worry about all that. Just come on over because it, it really you know it's nobody else's business and and you can handle it. But then the, my favorite part, the most poignant part, I think, in this whole series that he puts out is the contrast at the moment where we fall. Even though we think guardrails are harsh and lines are kind of fuzzy, he said it's the opposite. Because in culture, you can see this to be true. We have seen it over and over again the last few years. In culture, what, what the enemy, what the devil never wants you to know is that without any advance notice, those yellow lines can shift. You see, they're not fixed. And and so the enemy, of course, wants our destruction, no matter how he can get it. And so when he pulls us to the edge, try this, try this, and all of a sudden we go too far, then the tables are flipped. And and then the the forces of culture begin to cancel. Well, you shouldn't have done that. Now, that's crossing the line. Uh, you're canceled now. We, we, no one ever thought you were going to do that. You, you were coming to the edge. You can do that. But you know, you went that far with drugs. You went that far with misbehaving sexually. You went that, well, now you're cut off. And, and what the enemy does after you cross that fuzzy yellow line, then, then he likes to cancel and, and convince people that they're losers, that, that now there, there is no hope, Right? And you've seen this over and over again. Really, the only thing you should do now that you've crossed that line is just go out there and don't ever say or do anything else again because, because you've crossed the line and, and, and now there's no hope for you. What a contrast between the enemy's plans, which are so sinister, and the love of our Heavenly Father to keep some guardrails there so we never even get close. He doesn't want us to get hurt. It's like the, the laws and the, and the guidelines we establish for our children. We put those little plugs in the, in the outlets so they don't even get hurt, right? We, we don't want pain. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to have any of that pain. So he gives us his word. He gives us his precepts. But we're human. And sometimes even with the guardrails, we'll still crash into them. Sometimes we'll, we'll just say, we're going all for it. Sometimes we'll, we'll stumble and it takes a while to get there. And before we know, yeah, we've, we've crossed the guardrail and we need help. And we're, we are hopeless, except for God comes in and says, come on back. Let me help you back over where you need to be. God, God, God when we cross the guardrails, even if he's well established them for us, he's still reaching out with love and forgiveness. Do you see the contrast between what the enemy has in mind for us and what our heavenly father has in mind. He, he is establishing his laws for us so that we don't cross over, so we don't experience the pain 
but we are now no longer under the law. Thankfully, we're under grace. And so when, when that does happen, we shouldn't do it. But when it does, we don't even have to wonder for a second if the love and forgiveness and help of our Heavenly Father is going to be there. Because like that, like that father in the story of the prodigal son, he'll be out there looking for us. And at any moment that we signal we're ready to come, he runs out to me. He doesn't even wait for us to come. He runs out to get us to make sure we understand his love. Love the law. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Secondly, learn the, learn the law. Psalm 119, this is verses 98 through 100. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. You remember saying that a few moments ago? My enemies are ever with me. In fact, I have more understanding than all my teachers because your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients. Learning God's word puts us so far ahead. It protects us from so many stumbles and it gives us much more wisdom even than people who are further down the road in their education in their experience, in their age. What does he say? It makes us wiser than our enemies. The child of God who knows God's law has insight into how natural and spiritual laws work. We have such an advantage over our enemies when we understand God's word. Secondly, learning the law gives us more understanding even than our teachers Instructors, professors, doctors who study the laws of this world will never have as much understanding as the student who studies the law of God. I'm taking some graduate studies right now, and one of the courses is, is a course on theories. And so week after week after week now, I'm reading dozens and dozens of theories that, that men and women over the decades have, have tried to put forward. Some of them seem to make a lot of sense. And to me, I know I'm biased, but the ones that make the most sense are the ones that are, you can actually see God's word. It's like, they don't know that they're quoting God's word, but that's what they're talking about. And then others, these theories, are, they're just crazy. And you can see that, that there's no way that's going to produce truth over time. And there's a whole grid, and many of you have studied theories a lot more than I have, but a whole grid on what makes a good theory and what makes a bad theory. And when I read about those, I thought of this. Even people with degrees are never going to have as much understanding unless they understand the Word of God, like you understand the Word of God. And thirdly, it helps us understand more than the ancients. I do need to pause here today and honor my elders. I understand... Um, since I was with you last month, that your pastor has turned another year older. Um, in fact, so um, I have shared on numerous occasions how many things that your pastor and I have in common. We were uh, youth pastors at the same church. We've talked about that before. We worked at the same office in Columbus for a number of years, and we've got a sense of humor. He appreciates mine. I appreciate his. I, I think he appreciates mine. Um, but we share this birthday. September 1st is our birthday. And so, uh, happy birthday, my older friend. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> which is part of our sense of humor because he's only one year older than me. But man, I love it. Every year, it's an opportunity to, to, to honor. Well, this is talking about the ancients, right? I don't see anybody here over 55 years of age, which is what I am now, aside from Gil. But sometimes you will meet ancient people, right? And no matter how old they are, which if you're... 15, uh, a lot of you 30 and 40-year-old parents already get this, right? You are viewed as ancient. How did that happen? In the eyes of a teenager, you are <coughs> so ancient, right? <sighs> but regardless of numerical age, many of the ancients do gain wisdom. Even if they don't serve the Lord, they gain wisdom but what they do is they gain that wisdom through the hard knocks of life. You, you hopefully know a lot more at 40 than what you knew at 10 years of age, right? If you don't, something's desperately wrong. And a big part of that is we learn through the mistakes that we made. I was nine years old. It was a Sunday morning growing up in southeastern Ohio. I will never forget that morning and it has, it has changed the course of my life. I have never made the same mistake 
now that I'm 55, I've never made the same mistake that I made when I was nine years old on that Sunday morning. Why? Because we learn. As, as we grow older, we learn. I'm not going to do that. That was very painful. I don't want to do that anymore. And what was it? Well, I was in the hallways uh, before church started. Maybe it was after church, I forget. And I saw one of the ladies in the church. She was one of my mom's friends. And as a nine-year-old, I was, I was even trying to do something nice. It came from a good place. Have you ever been there? Have you ever intended to do something that sounded nice or that was going to be nice? And then you find out later that that's not how it was received, right? And so I didn't know at um, age nine that my feet would end up growing to the, to the size that they are, size 15. So I joke that I really cannot afford to stick my foot in my mouth, right? They're just, they're just too big. And, and I did it that day. And I, I saw this friend of my mother's and uh, I was walking down the hall and I don't know why, John, what were you thinking? I just thought that the circumstances warranted this comment when I said to her, when is your baby due? And, and I didn't know, of course, that uh, she wasn't carrying a baby. And, uh, and she said, oh, Johnny, I'm not pregnant. I'm just carrying some extra weight. And so I went, huh, and then I walked away. Oh, <laughs> how will I ever recover from this, right? So... She's still with us, and so every time I go back to my home church, you know, I'm thinking that in her mind. How could she not be thinking that? I don't know. But what it has done for me is now I will never say those words. I will never. I'm not even going to go there. I don't care if the woman has baby and an arrow pointing down on her T-shirt. I'm not saying it. Until it comes out of her mouth, the risk is not worth the reward. How many of you have been there? You've had a moment or two, were you right? So the older we get, the more wisdom we acquire. And yet, and this is so true, and I could laugh, but I could cry because of the practicality of this. Should Jesus delay his return another year? And I'm with you. I don't, I don't know at the rate we're going how it can be any more than a couple days. But if he delays his return another year, if he delays his return 10 years, 20 years, Let the law of God, let the love of God, let the word of God be so absorbed in your mind that it spares you the pain, that it spares you the agony and the remorse and the regret of having to learn some things the hard way. Remember the guardrails? If we have to learn the hard way, God's there. It's not that hope is lost. It's just that the, the pain that God wants us to, to miss out on, not that he wants us to miss out on the knowledge. He's not trying to hide anything. He's trying to keep us from the pain. Dive into God's word. I, I did not know when I walked in here today, I would see screens about the men's Bible study that you can, you can log into and do it via Zoom. How convenient is that? I didn't know that connections groups were starting next Sunday. I didn't know about the church's online biblical library and all the resources that you have here. Absorb the word of God, love the word of God, meditate it all day long, not only because God's word leads to salvation and God's word leads to, to blessings on the other side of this life, but because here and now, here and now, there's some painful chapters, far more than just saying something nice that really wasn't that nice. Hear God's word, study it, absorb it, live it, dive into it so that the painful choices that otherwise we might make, that, that older people have had to make, we can learn now. That's God's will for us is, is that we would be wiser than our instructors, wiser than people who are older than us because we take advantage of what we have been given right now and that is access as never before in mankind's history, access everywhere you look to the word of God. And if you are new here, we don't do this on ourselves. No one, no one gets the word of God into their heart all by themselves. We, we depend on each other. That's how God wired us. And that's why we need not only Sunday mornings, but we need these small group experiences where we can not only absorb it, but we can ask questions. 
And we can say, I don't understand this. Is this what this means? That's why we need brothers and we need sisters to help us love and learn the law together. So how do we learn the law? Well, it's just like many of our disciplines and academics. We familiarize, familiarize ourselves with them. You shall teach them diligently to your children, another Old Testament passage says. You talk about God's word when you, you sit in your house. You talk about God's word when you're walking down the road, when, you, when you're getting ready to go to bed, when you rise up. Every opportunity you have, we familiarize ourselves with the word of God. Go ahead, pay your kids some money. Oh, I gotta be careful here, right? Um, who's the youngest child in here? If, you're, if you have children five and under, I don't see them here. Uh, pay them some money. Teenagers, that's up to you guys. But do whatever it takes, sit down with them and just open God's word together. Whatever it takes, that's the point. Let's get the word of God inside us. Familiarize ourselves. Secondly, we study. We study to show ourselves approved unto God. So we do everything we can to become familiar with, but then there is time. We, we gotta apply ourselves now. Let's, let's, we don't take other things by accident. We know that we can study all kinds of, of manuals and policies at work. We've all had to become students in the past year and a half of, of new procedures and policies. So, so it is appropriate to devote some time to study routinely the word of God and finally memorize David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Repetition is the key to memorization. Repetition is the key to memorization. Did you know repetition is the key to memorization? What is the key to memorization? There you go, there you go. You can memorize, you can hide God's word in your heart. And maybe one verse a week would be a great start to say, you know what, I do a lot of things in my week. Hiding this one verse of God's word in my heart is something I can do. Familiarize, study, and memorize. We love it, we learn it, and then as we close today, we live it. We live God's law. Psalm 119 the second part of verse 100, because I keep your precepts. Remember what James said, right? We're not just hearers of the word. We're not just readers of the word, but we're doers of the word. We keep the precepts of God. James says, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're like a person who looks in a mirror. True confession, a few years ago, getting used to my smartphone, I thought, you know what would be a great app is if you could, if they could develop an, an app that, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say this, that would be like a mirror and you could push the button and then you could see yourself, you know? And I thought that would be a great app because who wouldn't want to check themselves before they, you know, start talking or whatever and make sure they didn't spill communion juice on their pants before they came up and... I did that last month here, by the way, and that was pre-Labor Day, so white pants were still legal, and, uh, but I did come with jeans today, just to be uh, sure. And then it dawned on me, thankfully, in private, uh, John, you know that, that camera app you've been using for about 15 years now? <laughs> that kind of does the same thing that you're talking about, so nobody's going to invent a mirror app because it's already there. You can just, oh, that's right, that's right. James says that, that you look into a mirror and if you walk away and forget, it's like you, like you just looked at the law for a second and then you didn't do it, right? If we love it, if we learn it, it's not, a lot, not enough until we live it because we, we know that even the devil believes the word of God. He doesn't apply it, right? So we love it, we live it, we learn it, and we live it. Paul said, he took this mirror concept at a different angle. He said, yeah, the law is a mirror, but the purpose of the law, of course, is to bring us to Christ. And so when we see the law, that's the benefit of having these guardrails. When we understand that there's laws, even though sometimes we don't like them, what they're doing is they're helping us stay in check, but they don't save us. Because after, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, praise God, we are no longer under all those, that litany of laws. Jesus Christ has redeemed us and, and he is our salvation. 
but the mirror helps reflect what's already there. I mean, let's think about, forget about scripture for a second. What is the design of the mirror? The design of the mirror or that camera app is simply to reflect what's already there. We don't praise, I mean, if we're wise, we don't praise the mirror, we don't condemn the mirror, right? When we like it or we don't like it, we don't say, oh, you stupid mirror, right? It's just a reflection to help us know what's there. That's the design of the mirror. Secondly, the purpose of the mirror, then yes, it can help us. It it can reveal areas where things are looking good. It can help reveal sometimes our shortcomings, that spinach in our teeth, so to speak. The mirror helps us so we know if changes need to be made so we can be presentable to one another. Of course, you understand the spiritual application will be much, much higher. There's the design of the mirror. There's the purpose of the mirror. But then there's the limitations of the mirror. That's what I said a few moments ago. The mirror can't change us. The mirror just shows us how things are. The mirror just gives us some clues and some tips But ultimately, the change doesn't come from the mirror. The change does not come from the law. Change comes from a living, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the word, right? John wrote about that. He is the word made flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word to us. And he, and he alone, can change us. So it's perspective. When we're, when we're talking about the word, of course, and, and the law, it's, its fulfillment is in Jesus. And yes, even Old Testament laws and New Testament laws, they serve a purpose, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about his love for us. You might be here today, and I'll invite the musicians, uh, if they would like to, to come on up or to uh, get ready for the closing prayer. When we look at the mirror, of course, we see lots of faults. Sometimes, and the older that I get, I see too many to mention. That is just hopeless right there. <laughs> You're going really to have to get used to that one, John. That's not changing. But sometimes, if it's short term, we can, we can make some of those changes. But when it comes to our spiritual walk with the Lord, our focus is on the law that Jesus said was the greatest. And that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does the mirror of the law show us today? What does that reflection look like today? Are, there, are you hearing the, the voice of the Holy Spirit? Say, so, you know, not in condemnation, because with the Spirit of God, there is no condemnation. But are you hearing the Holy Spirit say, you know, here's a change that together we can make. Here, here is a way that your relationship, your roots can grow a little deeper. If you'll allow me, if you'll, if you'll devote some energy, some effort, if you'll pray, if you'll use the body of Christ the way it's meant to be used, here's how we can make some changes. Young mothers and fathers, man, what a great time. In the midst of all the, the exhaustion, and it's there, it's real, what a great time to make a commitment that with our kids, here's some simple patterns that we're going to put into play so that under our roof, they're going to have this constant exposure to the word of God. If that's you today, can I just encourage you that it is worth it? Can I, can I encourage you that amidst all the exhaustion and the schedules and the boxes that have to be checked to raise children today, You will never regret. You will never regret. In fact, you will be thankful for the investment and the parameters that you put in place to make sure that boy, that girl under your care is receiving a steady diet of the word of God. A diet that's fed to them at home, not in perfection, but simple efforts, routine efforts. Every three months, every six months, taking a pause to check and say, how are we doing? You'll never regret that. Exposure they can get here at the church in the ministries and rubbing shoulders with, with other young people and with adults who can mentor them. You'll never regret that. Helping them in, in their teen years to, to not examine every issue, 
out of reaction and that's terrible. I can't believe the world's doing that. But to take the time to unpack whatever issue it is because I promise you, we can look to the word of God and find the wisdom that we need. And that's how I'd like to conclude today by one of my favorite passages and that's James chapter three. I don't know that I've, I've ever been in a season where I've needed this one passage over and over and over again like I have. But we are constantly being torn, divided, and presented with new challenges, especially these last few years, that, that really seem to be stretching people and, and I'm sure stretching many of us in here. Aside from just the, the real challenge of dealing with people maybe in this room, maybe relatives, close friends who have really struggled with the pandemic and its ramifications on their, on their work, on their health, on their relationships. We are daily being asked, it seems, to step into this camp or to step into this camp, right? Are you on this side or are you on this side? And the church is not immune from that. But James chapter three, and I feel like I've mentioned this here before, and so forgive me, but it's so so timely. And that is, it's, it's a great compliment to the words that you see in James chapter one. I already read from James chapter one, but earlier in that chapter, it's like it's written for us today. Do you need wisdom? Do you feel like you don't really know exactly what to do right now? James says, don't worry about it, man. Just ask God and rest assured that God is not gonna say, Hey, dummy, why, why do you need my advice? <laughs> That's not what God said. James says God's going to give you all the wisdom that you could need. And he's going to give you more than the wisdom that you need. That's what he says. He's going to give you his wisdom in abundance, and he's not going to make you feel bad for asking for it. So what a great encouragement. Whatever decision, whatever choice, some of you are trying to, to keep some teams of family or teams of workers or teams of students together, right? God's got the wisdom that you need. And then in James chapter three, verse 17, we read a really important parallel. So how do you know if the wisdom that you're about to download and apply comes from heaven? Because James says right there that, that some wisdom, some advice actually comes from hell. Some counsel comes from our enemy and we don't want that. So how do you know? So here's what James says. He has an eight question litmus test. Well, if you make that decision, if you prayed about it and you feel like this is what you're supposed to do, first of all, do, do a self check and say, is that pure? If you do this, is this gonna honor God is it going to honor everybody? Is it pure? Are your motives here not to get your own way, but are your motives, Lord, we just want the best choice. We want your, are you pure, right? Secondly, is it gentle, right? When you're, when you're, when you're making these decisions, are you being kind and thoughtful in the process? It, if it feels like, or if it's interpreted pretty clearly, that this is not kind, this is, this is not gentle, but it's harsh and it's quick and it hasn't been well thought out, then that's not a sign of, of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is pure, it's, it's gentle. And then it goes on, is it full of mercy? In other words, if you were on the receiving end of this wisdom, would you view this either now or down the road? Are you gonna view this as being such a gift of God's mercy? when I need it the most. Fourthly, would you view that this is gonna produce good fruit? Is it full of good fruit? If we make this decision, if we had this direction, is it gonna produce good fruit, right? I'm not gonna go through all of them, but I love the, the final one. It says, and, and, and is it not hypocritical, right? It's not playing favorites, right? You're not using this choice to bless somebody in order to hurt somebody else or in order to bless yourself in a way that that doesn't, that doesn't pass muster with everything else you've decided. God's wisdom, his word, has every counsel that we need. If we will dive into it, live it, learn it, love it, I promise you, I promise you, though I don't know your circumstances, if you're watching online today, I do not know what you're walking through but I do know 
if you make the choice to daily love God's word, to familiarize yourself with it, to study it, to memorize it, learn it, and then to walk it out, to live it, you're going to be so thankful. And this room is full of people who would say that is exactly their testimony. In this room are walking dozens and dozens of examples of people who've said, that was me. 10 years ago, 30 years ago, I didn't know that. I didn't understand this, but God has brought his wisdom into my life through his Holy Spirit, through good teaching, through study, and I'm so thankful to live God's word on a daily basis with his help. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you today for the application of a life that loves and learns and lives your word. I pray today, Lord, in an interceding way, for those right now who maybe don't even know that this week, this very month, before this year ends, a choice, a dilemma, an opportunity is gonna come at their doorstep. And in those moments of decision, the fact that they have demonstrated consciously an effort to love your law, to learn your law, to live your law, it's gonna spare them from not only missed opportunities and from pain, but it's gonna help them to, to step in to your perfect will. Thank you, Lord God, for the promise. Thank you for the promise that when we are not just hearers, but doers, that we can enjoy the perfect law of liberty, that we can enjoy the fullness of the life that you have in store for us, that you have in mind for us. So Father, I pray today that for those who feel like they have walked over that guardrail, if there's anyone who's watching online today and they feel like, I messed up. I, I already crossed the line. I ignored that law. I disobeyed and, and there's no hope. I pray today in the name of Jesus that your forgiveness, that the confidence of your mercy would just flood their minds and remove the guilt, remove the condemnation that is only coming from the enemy. Lord, I pray that, that the enemy's efforts, his tactics would re, be revealed in the fullness of what they are today because your word is now being poured into that situation. I thank you for setting men and women free to know that you love them, that your law was not meant to be a burden, a chain. It was meant to help us. It was meant to point us to Jesus Christ in whom we find the fulfillment of your word now and forevermore. Father, I pray for all these leaders, all these workers who are, who are preparing, many of them doing this now for years, to create a space at Grace Crossing where in Bible studies and connection groups and all the resources that are offered, Lord, I pray your blessing upon men and women who have said, I want to be a part of helping my neighbors and my friends grow in their understanding of God's word. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray God confidence and direction for the lessons and the, and the directions to head in these conversations. And I thank you for the result of, of men and women, teenagers, students, college students, Lord God, who are going to share testimonies that this next season at Grace Crossing, because they dove into God's word in a deeper level, produced fruit that not only helped them through this season, but will bless them for the rest of their lives. We'll give you the thanks and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.